Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Well, good morning and welcome back to uh, the teaching of God's Word in our service here this morning. Harvest Kale, just want to uh, continue to communicate how much we love you, uh, my family and I, Marie and I. Uh, I pray for you regularly and often, and uh, many times I uh, think about all the uh, th- times that we've had together, and it just encourages me to, to continue to fall, uh, in, uh, fall on my knees before the Lord and, and pray for you. Uh, I want to assure you that I uh, continue to um, love you, and uh, as we had the privilege uh, for many years to be together, um, we continue to uh, pray for you in those ways. And so it's with um, it's my privilege, really, to be able to continue to preach God's Word uh, to you uh, at, at times. And um, today, we're going to be looking again into God's Word. If you have a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, whether it's on your device or the book in your hand. Uh, I want you to have your eyes on God's Word uh, so that you have the assurance that what I'm saying here today is coming right from the text. And I uh, believe very much that that's how preaching should be done and want you to be able to feed yourselves from God's Word even as you see uh, me feed you from God's Word today as well. And so today I want to encourage you to listen as if your life depends upon what I have to say, because it does. I want to introduce something to you, and and not to insult you in any way, but I I want to help you understand that we are all, that the the reason why we need to listen with so so much fervor today is because we all have mental illness, and we all have that mental illness because of sin. And so what we find is that our minds are confused, according to Deuteronomy 28.20. Our minds are anxious and closed, Job 17 says. Our minds are evil and restless, Ecclesiastes 2.21 says. Our minds are rash and deluded, according to Leviticus 5 and Isaiah 32. When the Bible talks about our minds, it says that we have troubled minds, we have depraved minds, sinful minds, dull minds, blinded minds, and corrupt minds. The fact is that our minds are broken by sin, which means we can't even really trust what we think. So we tell ourselves all sorts of things that are not true. I do this. I'm sure that you do this. We tell ourselves that we aren't as bad as we really are. We tell us things that like that we are better than what we actually are. We tell our minds that we're doing okay when in fact we're not okay. And we say things like it's not a big deal when actually many times there are things that are big deals. And so what we find in the Bible is that because we have broken minds, because we have minds that we can't even trust our own thinking in, then we have a battle going on in our minds. We have blind spots. So I'm teaching Josiah how to drive. It's one of the things here in uh, the U.S. that he is of age to be able to do. And I was teaching him the other day about how to use the mirrors when he drives. And that he can't just trust looking into those mirrors because there's blind spots. There's spots that the mirrors don't reflect back and there might be uh, a car or a person or somebody in that spot. And so we need to do a little extra work. We can't just look into our mirrors because we have to turn and look and see what's in the blind spot. And today I'm trying to get you to see uh, some of the blind spot. Uh, the, The reality is... Even when I encourage you to look into the blind spot, your mind is going to tell you things to see that aren't true. It's interesting, uh, a little bit of biology here. I was learning that the optic nerve is the only, so the optic nerve is the thing that attaches our, what our eyes are seeing to what our brains are, are, are understanding. And our optic nerve is the only nerve that goes directly to the brain that actually sends more impulses forward to the eye than it does from the eye back to the brain. What that says is that our brain is telling us what to see. And if our minds are broken, and if if what the Bible says is true about our minds being confused and anxious and evil and deluded, 
then, then that's a problem. And so today, uh, I want to speak to you. Uh, the title of our message is The Battle for Your Mind. The idea that I want us to see together here today is that we need to go to war in the battle for your mind using the supernatural weapon that God has given to us. I'll tell you what that weapon is in just a moment. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is where we're going to look here today, specifically looking at verses 3 to 5. But I need to catch you up a little bit on what's been going on in this letter that Paul has written to the church at Corinth. I need to help you understand the context to understand these particular verses. Because tucked into the context is the message for today. So you need to understand that Paul is the one that founded this church in the city of Corinth. That's why the book, the, the book is called 2 Corinthians. It's the second letter in scripture written to the church in Corinth. What we find is that, that Paul has been mercilessly attacked by false teachers who want power and want him out so that they can teach their philosophies. The church, in fact, had actually mutinied against Paul. And, they, and he had addressed this in a letter that's not in Scripture. And we see that they've actually repented. And Titus, his co-laborer, has come and told Paul, hey, the relationship is restored. They've repented. They, they understand they're wrong. They want to restore that relationship back. But there were still some who were resisting, some false teachers still there. And so the final section of 2 Corinthians, chapters 10 through 13, are directed to those who are still resisting Paul. In chapters 1 to 9, Paul has been full of compassion and he's been sensitive and he's been teaching them as a shepherd. But now in these last chapters, in this last section, we see that he's firm and he's asserting his authority, his apostolic authority, and he's defending his integrity. And really the tone that we get in these last four chapters is one of battle. So in verses 3 to 5, we find the best text on engaging in spiritual warfare, on in engaging in the battle for your mind. That might be a little surprising because you think, well, wait a second, Pastor. I, I thought Ephesians chapter 6 has a lot to say about spiritual warfare. And it does. Absolutely it does. But in Ephesians 6, we're seeing the armor for warfare and some of how to use it there even. But really, 2 Corinthians 10 is teaching us how to fight the battle for your mind, how to fight a spiritual war. And so in this, again, just a, a, so that's the broader context. Now just the context of these couple of verses, because verses 3 to 5 are crunched between verses 1 to 6. And I need to tell you about those verses. So look at 2 Corinthians 10. Uh, we see that in, in verse 1 that Paul is compassionate in his war as a warrior. He says, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. He's saying, I, I, I love you and, and I want to only engage in this battle with you if it's the last resort. He says, I, I, I'm entreating you and it's meekness and gentleness and I'm humble, but he, he's using an accusation against him that, that false teachers were saying that he was bold with them when he was away writing letters, but that he was really weak when he was with them. And, and he's using that as a sarcastic play on words right here. But in that, he's, he's demonstrating, notice, he, he's saying, I, I'm coming to you with, I love you. I'm entreating you. I'm meek and gentle. And in that, he's saying, I'm only going to fight this battle from a place of compassion. I'm only going to engage in this as a last resort we're going to see. And then in verse 2, we see that when we're engaged in this battle, yes, we have to be compassionate, but there's a second quality, it's courage. In verse 2, it says, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. What he's saying is... Uh, I hope I don't have to have this fight, but if I need to, I will be courageous and I will engage in the spiritual warfare that's needed here. He says that he's going to be compassionate and courageous. And then verses three to five show that he's competent, that he has the capability, the ability and the weapons, and he knows how to use them. And that's what we're going to study in our text today. 
And then verse 6, he, he ends this section by saying that he's being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. He's, he says that the warrior is also, he's calculating. Now, I understand this, calculating not as a manipulative way of going about things, but he's strategic and he's contemplative. And, and what really what he says is, I'm going to consider some time. I'm going to give some time before I have to engage in the fight. And, I, and I'm going to make sure I know who the enemy is. I'm going to see those who are obedient and those who are disobedient. I'm not going to shoot everyone. I don't want a friendly fire incident in this war. And so I'm going to give time for the church to obey, and then I'm going to deal with the true enemies. Notice the compassion and the courage, and really the, the way that he's strategically calculating how to go about doing this. In all of this, what we see here is that when he talks about the warfare that, it's going to, that he's going to engage in, it's going to be a battle for the mind. That's what verses 3 and three to 5 is going to talk about. And that fits with the theme that we're going about here in our particular series uh, rise. We've seen how to rise in hope in February. We're rising in our head this month. We're going to look at how to rise with our heart and our hands in the coming weeks. So last time that I preached with you, I, I, last week Larry preached and he did such a fantastic job uh, as I listened in. But the two weeks ago when I preached to you, I preached from Romans 12, 1 to 2 that says that we are to renew our minds and we're going to see how important it is to do that. So let's examine the text here today. We're going to look specifically at verses 3 to 5 here this morning. And I want to really examine the text and try to draw out some principles that then we're going to try to put into application and practice here as well. And so look at verse 3. It says, uh, let me just read actually 3, 4, and 5, and then we'll come back and we'll look at each phrase. So in verse 3 to 5, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So let's go phrase by phrase here, starting in verse 3. It says, for though we walk in the flesh. Paul here is saying, using that phrase, he's saying, I'm human. Now, it's a little bit confusing. If you were to read at the end of verse 2 here, he says, uh, he says uh, against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. So we see the word flesh used there in one way, but used differently in verse 3. In verse 2, it's talking about um, a moral sense. It's saying the flesh is in the internal evil, sinful desires that are within us. And what he's saying is that some have accused him of being morally corrupt. But in verse 3, he uses the word flesh in a different way where he's actually talking about a biological, like, like our skin, like the, the biological, like who we are. And, and what he's saying here at, in verse 2 is he's saying, I'm not morally corrupt. But in verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, he's saying, I'm not morally corrupt, but I am human. Which I think is a very important point as we engage in the battle for our minds. To realize this, Paul is saying here, I am an apostle, but I'm not superhuman and I'm not super spiritual. In fact, if you were to see, Paul has said a number of places already in this letter. In chapter 4, verse 7, he says, I'm just a clay pot. And in chapter 5, verse 1, he says that I'm a tent to be torn down. And again, in chapter 4, he says that my, that, that my outer, outer self is decaying. He's talking about his humanness in that particular way. I'm not superhuman. I'm just a human like anybody else. And I think this is so important. Write this down. Any human can fight this battle. Every human can fight this battle. It's not just those who we think are spiritual giants. It's not just the, the people that we kind of uphold and we say, well, well, he's an elder and he's a pastor. And it's not just those spiritual giants that we look up to in the faith. Any human can fight the battle for their mind. So the question then it must begin to stir in you and say, well, wait a second. What makes normal humans powerful in spiritual warfare? Because, because we kind of understand, right? Like, like we're, we're kind of the weakest thing in the chain there. We, we understand that the, the, the angels, they, they have a different kind of power. It's kind of more powerful in some ways. And, and fallen angels, Satan and his horde, we understand, wait a second, I, I can't resist that in that way. And so what makes normal humans powerful in spiritual warfare is an important question. 
Well, the verse three continues and it helps give the answer. The second part of the verse, it says, we are not waging war according to the flesh. So, so the answer to what makes normal humans powerful in spiritual warfare is that we are not using human weapons. Or another way of saying it, don't use human weapons. We're not going to fight this battle like normal human things. We're not going to fight on a human level is what Paul is saying. So, so there's two things I want you to notice here. One's kind of obvious, but I think we just need to pause and address it. The first is this. You are at war. You're at war every single day. And there's, there's a battle that's going on that you are a part of. Now, it, it's a spiritual battle we can't always see, and so we don't always acknowledge it or understand, but we are at war. So one of my mentors, Bob Weishart, taught me how to be a pastor. And he said this, he says, Nate, you need to help remind your people that it's a battle, not a picnic. He says, too many people are treating life like they're laying out the picnic blanket and they're just thinking that it's going to be fun and games and all some, some nice food to have while you're sitting and enjoying the day. But that's not what it is. There's a battle that's raging on around us and we must be aware there is a war that's going on. And the reason you have to acknowledge this is because there, there is a vicious war being fought on the battlefield of your mind every day. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, we see in verse 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. If you were to just to read that verse, it would be scary. You would say, wait a second, I'm just human. How am I supposed to fight against all of that? We're fighting a war against the kingdom of darkness, and so we can't just use human weapons because the battle is spiritual, not human. And what we're fighting for is that we're fighting for the honor of Jesus Christ, and we're fighting for salvation of sinners, and we're fighting to live ourselves as a Christian. That's the things that we're fighting for in this spiritual war. So first, you need to see you're at war, but second, you also need to notice that non-human weapons are to be used by ordinary humans. Actually, earlier in this book, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7, there's just kind of a list of some things that are going on and tucked in there. Uh, it says this. It says that we are to fight with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. We are to fight with weapons of righteousness. Do you, can you identify what that weapon actually is? Well, I want to tell you a little bit about this spiritual warfare from the most familiar text, Ephesians 6, that we've already looked at. And I want to just show you something uh, really important in this text. Uh, I want to show you the, the, the spiritual warfare that's going on, but how you've been equipped to fight this spiritual warfare. You don't have to be afraid of verse 12 because it goes on and it says more about this in verse 13 and on. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. And we're told what it is that we have been given by God to fight this spiritual war against the spiritual forces of evil and darkness. And, but I want, you to I want to show you some contrast of some things in a chart that's going to appear on the screen here. What we're going to see here is that there is armor that we've been given to fight the adversary in the way that he intends to fight. You have to understand, we know how the devil's going to fight us. God has told us in his word. And so it says this, and it says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand on the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Uh, on those, what, the evil day is not some specific day. It's just every day that you're tempted, every day that you're in this battle. And, and that's, that's every day of our lives, right? And it says this, stand therefore having fastened the belt of truth. Um, and, and, having fastened the belt of truth. And this is important because notice the adversary is the father of lies, according to John 8, 40, 44. And then it says to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And that's important because the adversary is the tempter in 1 Thessalonians 3, 5, and the accuser of the brethren in Revelation 12, verse 9. Do you see how we're being given armor to fight and combat the very things that the devil is trying to engage us in, in the spiritual war? Then it goes on and it says having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness that given by the gospel of peace. Uh, 
That's important because the, the adversary is a deceiver according to 1 Timothy 4.1. And then it says, um, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which with you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So the shield of faith, it, it combats the adversary because he is the sower of doubt, 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4. And then it goes on and says, and take the helmet of salvation. Uh, and that's important because we understand our adversary is the thief of life, according to John 10, 10, that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. That's when we have the helmet of salvation that we have that eternal life. And then it says, and also take up the sword of the spirit as well. The sword of the spirit is part of the armor, but there's something very different that happens here. The sword of the spirit is the only thing, notice, of the armor that we are given that is actually a weapon. Everything else is for defensive purposes. The, the father of lies, the tempter, the accuser, the deceiver, the sower of doubt, the thief of life. The, the, he's going to try to do these things, but we have armor to protect us against that. But then we also have something else. We have the sword of the spirit. It's different. It's not a defensive weapon. It is an offensive weapon. We're going to see that in just a moment. So why can we not fight this battle for my mind with human weapons? We've been at, trying to answer that, but, we, uh, but the text even goes further to answer in two ways, one negative and one positive. So why can we not fight this battle for our mind with human weapons? Well, verse 4 tells us, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. That, that's the negative statement that Paul makes. Human weapons are useless and powerless. Weapons of the flesh are not adequate for the spiritual battle that we need to walk in. And it's because they have no effect, these human weapons. They don't have the effect that is needed to actually uh, fight the battle in this way. So when we talk about human weapons, we can see uh, that they're weapons of the world. They're, they're weapons of the flesh. Uh, by that, things like human reason, and human wisdom, and arguments of rationalism, human plans and strategies and ingenuity, organization and skill and eloquence and personality, cleverness, entertainment, religious showmanship, philosophical and psychological speculation, the mystical things, they're artificial atmospheres that create artificial environments, and all are human approaches that are impotent weapons they're simply weapons of the flesh. These are the things that we use to fight battles on the human level. I mean, these are the things that we use to sell soup and cars and suits and, and garbage disposals and houses. You use these things to convince people that they should go to college and they get a different career or a different job. You get them to vote for the things that you want to vote for and, and get people to give their money to charity and, and various things you want them to invest in. You use these things to motivate people to work faster and more efficient, to climb the ladder in their job. These are all the method, methodologies that we use in human terms, in human realms. But what we find is that these are not, it says the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not these kinds of weapons because they're ineffective. They're useless and powerless in the spiritual warfare. So don't use those kind of weapons as you're fighting the battle for your mind. Don't use just a human plan, a human strategy, organization, skill, personality, rationalism, human reason and wisdom. They're not going to be enough to fight the battle for your mind. But there's good news. You don't have to use those. You shouldn't use those because, notice the second part of the verse, but it says, but we have divine power to destroy strongholds. Wow. So, that word stronghold is an important word, and actually it would mean uh, more than to, to the people who heard, first heard this letter in Corinth than it does to you and I. So what it means is that there is uh, there, uh, this stronghold, there was, there was actually a land feature very close to the city of Corinth. It was called the, uh, uh, it was, it was called the Corinth Acropolis. And what it was, it was a fort on top of a very high hill. Actually, it was the highest known stronghold in the region in that day and age. It had been there for over a thousand years. 
It sat on top of a 575 meter high mountain. And one of the unique features, uh, unlike most fortresses that were high on a mountain, is that they had a couple of springs of water inside of it. So if the enemy came and it would attack, they would all run up the mountain inside this fortress and hide in it, and they could be there almost forever. There were, there were many sieges there that failed because the people had water inside the fortress. So right there, in, when Paul writes and he says that, that we have divine power to destroy strongholds, they would have imagined, notice the, the picture on the screen right now, this is what it would have looked like. It would have looked like this, this massive fort with big walls that could not be taken over inside, uh, inside of at that moment. And, and God is saying, we have divine power power to destroy strongholds like this, metaphorically speaking about strongholds that are inside of our minds. Because you see what would happen is, if God were to come and he were to, uh, to, uh, to bring the divine weapons against these people and they would go into their stronghold, their, their defense would turn into a prison. That, that fort would turn into something that would uh, keep them captured inside of their own way of thinking. And God says, we have divine weapons that can destroy this incredibly powerful fortress. We'll demolish it, we'll disintegrate it, it will crumble. So we have to think, what are the fortresses that we need to destroy according to these verses? What, what is it that we should be attacking that, that Paul is speaking about attacking here right now? Well, we see in verse 5, kind of the explanation. It says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. So, so what is the stronghold that God wants to destroy and demolish and, and bring you out captive from? Well, well, it's arguments, number one. The word actually means speculations. It might be a, a better way of, of translating it into English, and it's this. It's our thoughts, it's our opinions, it's our reasonings, our philosophies and ideologies, and ultimately our religious constructions. These arguments are the forts that men hide in that are against God. Now, we've been talking about spiritual warfare, but I want you to notice something kind of important here. There's a lot of people that talk about spiritual warfare, and they're talking about all sorts of things about confronting spirits. But, but notice here, that's not what's actually happening in this text. Notice here that, that we're not fighting demons directly, but, but we're, sort, we're fighting demonically source ideology. We're, we're fighting against uh, human thinking, fleshly thinking that has been influenced by evil that we think is really solid, but is actually being destroyed by God. Notice that we are not to go out and to fight, to chase after spirits, but we are to fight the system of this world that, that has, has encapsulated the teaching of the devil and, and his minions in that. We destroy arguments, that's the stronghold. Another way of saying it, just an enhancement, is that these arguments are lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 20, it says it this, it says, says it this way. If I could find my place here. First oh, Corinthians 3, verse 20, it says... The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. The thoughts of the wise are futile. Uh, what we see here is that the, the lofty opinions raised against God are futile against the weapons that he has given to us. I mean, this is kind of what Paul has already said in Romans chapter 1. He says that everybody comes into the world knowing God, and knowing enough about God to know his internal power and his Godhead, and so that they're without excuse. But when they knew God, they, they didn't glorify him, Romans 1 says, not as God. And, and, and so the, you know the stories of Romans 1, they, they turn against God. They turn their back on God. They create gods of their own. 
They, they turn against the true God and fortify themselves in the false systems that they build for themselves. And they raise them up against the knowledge of God and they raise them up against the gospel and they resist God. Paul knows this kind of thing very well because he was the best of the Jews. Before he knew Jesus as his Savior and Lord, he was resistant, not just resistant against the knowledge of God, he was actively pursuing and persecuting those who actually believed in Jesus until one day he was on the road to do that very thing, to kill some more people who believed in Jesus, and bam, he gets knocked off his horse on the road, and the light shines down, blinds him for a short time, and he realizes that the Lord is pursuing him that he had raised lofty opinions against the knowledge of God, all sorts of arguments that were the stronghold, and God demolished it right there in an instant. That's what he does in each one of our lives when, when he, he, he destroys the stronghold of our lives and brings us into a right understanding of who he is and ultimately a relationship with the one that we were an enemy of. So lofty opinions raised against God can appear in religious ways and non-religious ways. And lofty opinions against gods are in the form of all the world religions. So Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness and Roman Catholicism and Hinduism and Buddhism and Shinto and Taoism and Muslim and, and even the religion of Christianity is one which many times has lofty opinions raised against God. Oh, they're disguised, and some are closer than others, and some are very adamantly against. But in all of this, there are arguments and lofty opinions against God. And then we see non-religious things, just the naturalistic, humanistic, evolutionary philosophy that so many times is raised against the knowledge of God. And we're swimming in the soup of these things, right? So how do we destroy those things? Because it tells us we destroy arguments and these lofty opinions. How do we destroy them? Over well, the end of verse 5 tells us, it says this, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. You see how this is the battle for your mind? <laughs> because you're going to take thoughts captive in your mind to obey Christ. So we understand we have this fortress that, we, that men hide within and, and there's the thoughts and the concepts and the opinions and the religions of our day. And the battle is to, take, to demolish that stronghold and to take them captive to obey Christ. There's only one way to destroy error and that's with truth. We must replace error with truth. And only one weapon does this. It's the sword of the Spirit. So I left off a phrase in Ephesians 6 when we got to this. We're, we're told in verse 17 that we are to take the sword of the Spirit, notice, which is the Word of God. So Paul just wants to make sure very clearly that the metaphor that he's using of this, of this sword, that you understand that the sword of the Spirit is the Word, the Word, the Bible, the Scriptures, the Word of God. And we are to fight with truth found in Scripture. How do we destroy the strongholds in our lives, in the lives of others who need to see Jesus? We fight with the truth found in Scripture. It's interesting. The verb that's used here to take every thought captive to obey Christ is a word that actually has a weapon inside of it. The, the verb in the original language had the, the word for source, I'm sorry, for spear inside of it. So if you were to take captive, it's like taking a prisoner with a spear and sticking the spear into his back and marching the prisoner out of the demolished fortress and into a new allegiance, into a new relationship with Jesus Christ. And so Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Uh, Jesus, on the road to Damascus, he stuck a spear on my back and drove me out of the fortresses of my wrong thinking and took me prisoner so that now, I'm in a, now my allegiance is to him. And being a prisoner of Christ is a great thing, not a bad thing. And that's what happens to all of us at the point of conversion. So oftentimes people say, well, this Christianity thing, it's not really for, for intelligent people, for reasoning people, for smart people. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. 
because so many great minds of history have been enamored in and all and in and fallen in relationship and become a prisoner of Christ. I want to tell you about another prisoner of Christ. You might vaguely recognize the name Blaise Pascal, but not really know who he is. He, he was a brilliant and incredibly, incredibly educated uh, man who lived from 1623 to 1666, just 39 years. But in those short years, he invented influence so and influenced so much of what we take for granted today from calculating machines to the very first public transportation system. Probability and decision theory, mathematics of risk management, he proved the existence of the vacuum at which set the stage for quantum physics. His statistical probability anal analysis envisioned the insurance industry, management science, racing forms, lotteries, <laughs> Las Vegas, uh, all, all the gambling casinos. Pascal invented the vacuum pump in detail uh, and gave us a detailed understanding of outer space. His thoughts stand behind the jet engine, the internal combustion motor, the atomic bomb, and mass media. And all of this and much more came from the mind of this man, Blaise Pascal. In many darkened hearts, God is viewed as the invention for weak minds, but Pascal was Pascal, who was private about his faith, um, died and, and one of his aides found a piece of paper pinned on the inside of his coat where he had written this. The year of grace, 1654, Monday, 23 November. From about half past 10 at night until about half past midnight, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not the God of the philosophers and of the learned. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace, God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God. Forgetfulness of the world and everything except God, he can only be found by the ways taught in the gospel. Grandeur of all human soul, righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, 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 tears of joy, let me not be separated from him forever. May I never forget his words. Amen. And so one of the greatest, most creative minds in human history could not be satisfied in himself or in science. Pascal, who wrote prolifically of his insights and discoveries, echoed Solomon and human search for eternity. All men seek to be happy. This is without exception, whatever different means they use, Solomon said. In the end, Pascal concluded, he wrote this, since the present age never satisfies us, Experience tricks us and leads us from misfortune to misfortune until death. What then does this craving and inability, inability cry to us, if not that there was once true happiness in man, of which there now remains only the mark and empty trace? We, may mainly, we try mainly to fill it with everything around us, seeking from things absent the help that we do not receive from things present, but they are all inadequate because only an infinite and immutable object that is God himself can fill this infinite abyss. You see, forts against the knowledge of God become prisons and we must demolish them. March the prisoners out into their new allegiance with Christ. That it says, but that's what it means when it says to take captive to obey Christ. That's actually a synonym for salvation. Obedience is always the mark of true salvation. And the weapon that causes that to happen is the truth of the word of God. So let me ask you, do you want to win the battle for your mind? Do you want to help others win the battle for their mind? Then we have to know this. We have to have a learned understanding of the scriptures. Write that down. That's really what I'm trying to get you to do out of the message here today is I want you to understand how important it is to learn the scriptures, how important it is to confront air with scripture, and how important it is to be able to use scripture to do the battle that's required in my minds. Somebody has said, truth is never invented, it's only discovered. That's never more true than here in the word of God. You can't invent truth, but you just discover what God's word is. And so we have to learn what's here in the scriptures. We must learn to discover the weapon of truth if we have any hope of winning the battle for our mind. But here's the thing. We all struggle to do this. 
We all struggle to engage in the battle for our minds. It's easier just to veg out and not think too hard. It's easier just to look for the picnic and not engage in the battle. It's easier just to be entertained in, in this world for a time than actually fight the battle for our minds. And so, so many times we don't actually engage in this battle. Is that true of you? I know I've been convicted as I've been studying and thinking about this, how important it is that I immerse myself and know how to use the scripture, the truth that's in it, because I need to go to war for my mind. So let me just, at the end of our message here, just try to bring this to a place of application. So we've, we've seen what God's word says, but we need to wrestle with the fact that we don't always do what God's word say and how that affects us in these ways. And so remember, really what we're seeing here today is that scripture demolishes strongholds. So I said at the beginning, the main idea of the passage here today is to go to war in the battle for your mind using the supernatural weapon that God has given to us. You now know what the weapon is, right? It's scripture. That's what we've seen here. If we're going to go to war for our minds, scripture is what is going to demolish the strongholds. So I want to show you a little chart that I'm going to use here today. And in this chart, I want you to notice a couple of things. Uh, this is the battle for my mind. And, and I, what I want you to see here is that we're going to look at some hindrances of truth in this uh, column here. We're going to look at the stronghold that uh, keeps us in our minds and the, the scripture that demolishes it. And then ultimately what we are free to live as as the result of that. So let me just kind of walk through this chart here with you, and we'll, we'll get some of the details of this to you later as well as we talk about this. But in this chart, I want you to see um, that we many times have a hindrance of truth because we think like an orphan. We don't think that we actually are in the family of God. Even after we come to Christ, sometimes we think that's too good to actually be true. And, and when you're thinking that way, you're thinking like an orphan. You're not thinking as part being a family member of God. And, and the stronghold that, that imprisons us, that, that causes us to, that, that we retreat up into and that we resist God in, is we say things like, I'm alone and abandoned. I'm unlovable and unworthy. We say things like, I have to take care of myself because nobody else is going to take care of me. I don't think God has taken care of me, so I, I'm living like an orphan. I, ultimately, we say, I can't trust anyone. But in this, I want you to see that the, the scripture that demolishes the stronghold of, being, of thinking like an orphan, like so many of us struggle to do even after we've come to faith in Jesus Christ. So some scriptures that help us to understand this uh, is uh, uh, Galatians 4, verses 46. It says, you have a family, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of a son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And with that, we see we're not just part of a family, but we have an awesome big brother. Romans 8 says, For those who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, brothers and sisters in the family. Listen, if you put your faith in Christ, Scripture is saying you have an awesome big brother. You're not alone. You're not unlovable. You don't have to take care of yourself. Actually, uh, it tell, scripture tells us in Ephesians 1, 5, and 6, your father's love never fails. It says, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The father's love never fails us. It, Psalm 34, 7 says, you are secure. I love this verse. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You're secure. And then the last scripture to help us today, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, You have someone who will never leave or forsake you. It says this, He has said, I will never leave or forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Listen, when you allow the scripture to destroy the strongholds in your mind, you get taken out of that 
stronghold and you're no longer an orphan, but now you have freedom to live as a child in the family of God with an awesome big brother who is going to take care of you and who's going to love you and protect you. Listen, if you are struggling believing that you are unworthy and unlovable and alone and abandoned and that you can't have to take care of yourself and God isn't taking care of you, fall before the scripture. Let the spear of scripture draw, push you out of that fortress and demolish it so that you can live as a child of God. Here's another way of looking at it. I, I did a second version of this. So many times the hindrance to truth gets us to think like a slave. And I think that I'm a slave to the law. I have to do all the moral things and I'm kind of bitter about it, but I have to do it and I keep trying to work on it. I think I have, I'm slave to other people. I'm slave to my fears. I'm slave to my desires and my emotions. And so the stronghold that we are protected behind is that I'm a slave to these things. I don't want anybody to destroy that. This is how I protect myself. But in that, I'm, I'm this prisoner, this, this slave prisoner inside the fortress of my thinking in these ways. And we're, sold, we're told here in this verse that we have to destroy the arguments and every lofty opinion raised against God. God said he doesn't want you to live as a slave. He wants you to live better in a different way. And so he gives some spiritual, supernatural weapons to destroy this stronghold. He says this. He says that your chains are gone. Your bonds have been burst. In Psalm 107, 14, he brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. You're not chained. You're not slave anymore. It says also, only God is your judge. It says there is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? In James 4.12, only God is the judge and he's the one that's saying he's bursting the bonds. In Romans 8.1, it says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and in, it says that we, are, that we have a choice. We're not slave to these things and that we have to do these things. That there is a choice when you have Christ Jesus in your life. Romans 6, 6 to 7 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. You are not slave to your sin any longer. That's why here, with the last thing I say is you are free because it's finished. In John 8, 36, it says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And in Galatians 5, 1, it says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. He says, you don't have to live as a slave anymore. That, that was a stronghold that he has destroyed. And the weapon of scripture is teaching us that if you would believe that, you can live free as a citizen instead of a slave. Full rights, full privileges, full citizenship, not a slave who's owned by somebody else. One last time, one last round. A common thing that is a hindrance to truth is that we're an orphan, that we live like an orphan or that we think like a slave. But there's another one that's very common as well, and it's this. We think like a Pharisee. We all struggle with this, every single one of us. And the strongholds say this, I'm not that big of a sinner. Have you ever said that? I know I have, right? I think we all have. Well, I'm not as bad as them, right? I am right. You're wrong, I'm right. I have the right perspective. Three, I do not need help. I don't want help and I don't need help. I can do it on my own. I don't need anything outside of myself. And then number four, I am better than you. It's an arrogant statement we know, but we, we think that. I'm not as bad as that person. I'm better than them. I do it better. I, I have more. And, and listen, that's a stronghold in our minds that God wants to destroy with divine weapons. The divine weapon of scripture will destroy that. Let me show you how. First of all, in Isaiah 64, it says, your righteousness is filthy. You think that you're not that big of a sinner? You think that you are right and that you're better than other people? In Isaiah 64, it says, but we are all as unclean things and all our righteousnesses are as filthy as rags. It also tells us that none are righteous in Romans 3. In Romans, Romans 3 
verses 10 to 12, which I missed here so quickly. Let me grab it. Romans 3, verses 10 to 12 says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've all become worthless. No one does good, not even one. But the good news is, Ezekiel 11 says, I will melt your heart of stone and make, your heart, make it a heart of flesh. Your heart of stone as a Pharisee, I'm going to do the work to make it, bring it to life. So in Ezekiel, it says, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them, give them a heart of flesh. Not a hard heart, but a soft heart to the things of God. And then God says, it's my record that counts, not yours. Pharisees need to hear this. Romans 4 says this, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. What he's saying is, Jesus is saying, it's my record that counts, not yours. So your record is filthy rags and not one of you is righteous. That's okay because it's going to be my record that counts. You can't live your life like a Pharisee if you believe that. And then you're invited to rest. In Matthew 11, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen, the teaching of Jesus gives an invitation to rest because you don't have to work to be good. You don't have to work to, to be a Pharisee and to follow all the rules. And then lastly, you don't always have to be right. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let the, listen, a Pharisee boasts, but he's boasting in the wrong thing. And scripture destroys his strongholds so that he realizes, I don't have to live like a Pharisee. I can live, I have the freedom to live as a Christian, as a Christ follower, as a blood-bought sinner who Christ has done all the work for me. It's not my righteousness as a Pharisee, which is dirty rags anyway. It's his righteousness that counts so that now I can live and follow after him. In all of this, we see the example for how we can use Scripture to destroy strongholds. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Do you remember the story of Jesus and the temptation that he experienced when uh, at the very beginning of his ministry? Matthew chapter 4 records this. And in Matthew chapter 4, we see that Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he's hungry. And the tempter comes and says to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, well, how did he answer? Well, he took out the sword of the Spirit. He, he took out the sword of the Spirit and he used the truth of the Word of God and he quoted Scripture and said from Deuteronomy 8.3, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word that comes, he, he, he uses Scripture to talk about Scripture and how important Scripture is in, the, in defending ourselves against temptation and against the evil one and in the battle for our mind. A second time, the devil takes him to the holy city, puts him on the pinnacle of the temple and says, if you are the son of God, throw yourselves down. And then he tries to use the weapon of scripture against Jesus. And he quotes Psalm 91, he will command his angels concerning you. And then he uses another verse from Psalm 91, on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against that. And Jesus says, again, it's written from Deuteronomy 6, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Uh, you're, you're going to try to use scripture improperly. That's the, I know how to use the sword better than you do, right? And so then the third time, uh, the devil says to them, I'll give you the, all the kingdoms that I have if you'll fall down and worship me. And Jesus says, quoting Deuteronomy 6 again, Be gone, Satan, for it's written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. The example of Jesus is that he is, uses the scriptures to fight the spiritual battles in our lives. Jesus uses the weapon of spiritual truth. 
and he demolishes and defeats the devil. The devil, it says, left him and the angels came and ministered among them because the devil couldn't defeat him using the supernatural weapon, the divine weapon of scripture to destroy the strongholds that Satan was trying to throw up and surround him with. Listen, in all of this, there is a battle for your mind. And we desperately need to take every thought captive to obey Christ. And so even as uh, you've heard the message today, let me ask you, what do you need to take captive today? I'm not talking about things running around in your life. I'm, I'm talking about in your head, in your mind. What do you need to take captive today? What in your mind is not of the Lord? What is a, a stronghold that needs to be demolished and destroyed by the divine weapon of Scripture? What is the lust that is in your mind? What is the desire that is an over-desire or a wrong desire? What is the, the thing that you set your mind on that is an idol that, that needs to be destroyed by the divine weapon of Scripture? Would you even just identify that right now? Would you Maybe just write yourself a little bit note and said, I need to take captive today my think thinking about you fill in the blank. Here's the thing. We've learned from this passage that if you try to fight that with human weapons, they won't work. It's ineffective. That's not how you have been designed to fight. You've been given armor to defend yourself against the spiritual warfare, and the one weapon that you've been given is scriptural truth. And you're told you are to take captive, it says, take every thought captive to obey Christ, to be submitted to Christ, to be saved by Christ from that situation. What is the Spirit of God doing in you right now? What is the victory that you know? I want to be over this. I want to be done with this. I don't want to fall into this trap again. I don't want this sin to continue in my life. I don't want this temptation to overwhelm me again. What is it that God wants you to use the divine weapons of Scripture to destroy the stronghold in your life? Write that down. And then know this. There's a whole bunch of captives, prisoners of Jesus Christ, that today want to welcome you into a new way of living, want to encourage you in that, want to pray for you, want to, want to check in on you and see how you're doing, want to teach you more about God's word to help you in that. There's, there's a whole group of prisoners, who to captives together, who have been assigned, who've been given the mission to help you with that. If you would take whatever is written down there and you would tell your small group or you would tell the, the, the person who's brought you to church or maybe no one brought you, you just showed up at the online service and, and if you would just say, I need help. There's all sorts of prisoners of Jesus Christ who've already had all sorts of thoughts taken captive who would love to help you take captive thoughts and would work together with you on that. Go to war in the battle of your mind, using the supernatural weapon that God has given you, it's scripture. And then you can say, this we know. We're going to see the enemy run. This we know. We're going to overcome these things and we're going to find victory because we are putting into practice the very thing that Jesus used and we're going to trust him again. We're going to repent of the strongholds. We're going to believe the scripture that has been given and then we're going to have the freedom to live as the children, as the citizens, as the Christian that God has, that God has called us to and given us the freedom to live as a captive like. Let me pray and ask God to do that in us right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for, Lord, you have said your word is as sharp as a double-edged sword in Hebrews. It cuts and divides to the very marrow of the bones. It goes all the way to the very inside of who we are is what that scripture in Hebrews is saying. Lord, your word is the divine weapon that destroys strongholds in our lives. Lord, would, uh, we, would you cut us to the very core and free us from the strongholds, release us and, and, and allow us to become captives of Jesus Christ. Lord, to be the children, not the orphan, to live like the citizen, not the slave. Lord, to, to live as the Christ followers, not the Pharisees. Lord, that's our desire. 
Thank you for telling us how, Lord, and we submit ourselves to your word and to your spirit right now. And the thing that we've identified that we need to take captive in our thoughts today, Lord, would you just destroy and demolish the stronghold? Lord, we submit ourselves, whatever that takes. And we ask, Lord, would you then allow us the freedom to live as the captive that you've, that you've given us, that you brought us to be? Lord, we, we love to follow you in these things. And so we want to go to war for the things of our mind. Lord, would you help us to rise in our head to understand what it is to live the Christian life using our minds by taking captive every thought that's disobedient and bring it into obedience to Jesus Christ. Lord, this we know. The victory's coming. And so we're going to celebrate that even as we by faith pray these things now. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.